Chapter 7 The Decision Months passed during which Amory never set foot on the soil of Tempertime Cemetery. He was always watched and unfailingly reprimanded for any action even symbolic of the cemetery outside of teachings. Listening to the Endel's tales became the highlight of his life and the heart of his imagination. The compass became an even more prized possession. It stayed with Amory wherever he went. With twine, he tied it around his neck and never removed it. The greatest tremors in Amory's life throughout these days were his relationships. The boy was convinced that the detriment of his situation was attributable to the careless deed of his estranged friend, Turber. They did not speak except for vindictive remarks in passing. Resentment also tainted the affinity of his most vital relationship, that of mother and son. But this coldness of interaction was without vigor on the part of Lunel. Her spirit was exhausted. Darker her looks became and shallower her words. The opportunities for Amory to break through the stolid shell of his mother were all but gone. When she wasn't around, Lunel placed Amory under the guidance of Amnes Stoller, a good, hard-working man who was Winder's shoemaker. Amory was not thrilled to have any part in shoemaking, but his argument against it had no weight. Over time, the boy's aspirations began to dwindle, and he became mechanical in his performance of the tasks of his day-to-day life. He did what he was told, but held no enthusiasm. He was miserable. Only when absorbing the words of Teacher Sayakam did he ever feel any peace, but even then, the lessons often agitated him since he wanted to live out rather than simply listen and take notes. Every day Amory woke with the same hungering desire to run to Tempertime Cemetery against all the punishments that could be inflicted upon him, even if only to look upon the teasing stone heralds. It was a reward that was beginning to outweigh the risk. In the afternoons, Amnes made Amory pay strict attention to everything he did while Amory was under his care. But even before then, he gave the boy monotonous tasks of cleaning and sweeping. And if Amory fell into the dreams of his mind, he was brought back into reality by Amnes's aged voice of direction. He felt trapped in a world that would not let him understand it. Anger clenched his spirit. He pushed through his days with a grudge towards the world. He knew his mother was only doing what she thought best. He knew she loved him, but the connection between them evaporated like the drying out of a clipped, weak-old flower. Ever since that night at Tempertime Cemetery, there had been a fissure between Amory and his mother. He could not let go of the realm he ardently cherished and wished to be a part of, and so he could not rid himself of the bitterness he held towards the Isle of Winder's laws in keeping him from it. His resentment towards his mother was only an effect of the unfairness. To love one thing fully, either his mother or the mystery of the outer world, was to take love from the other as their very essences contradicted each other. Time moved at the speed of a trudging elder as teacher Sayakam spoke to Amri and the other dozen pupils about the Isle of Dake and its ranges of massive mountains. A continuum of molasses seemed to grip the words emanating from her lips, dragging them into a hum of medial consistency. Turber, Gride, Desdale, and the other pupils listened diligently, scrambling to transform every meaningful point into a coherent note on their parchments. During this particular lecture, Amory could not think of any need to waste attention or ink. His eyes gazed out over the top of Penzurge Hill, a wide grassy knoll upon which the school was erected, into the clear air above the Isle of Winder. 
In the distance, he could make out the colors of the gardens and the workers amongst them tending to the flowers' needs, preparing for a trade that was soon due. There were 27 known and traveled to isles across the black waters. Out of those 27, three were large and fitting enough to hold full kingdoms. These three isles were the Isle of Trince, the Isle of Fravis, and the Isle of Hin. The Isle of Dake was the largest of all, but its mountainous terrain hindered any significant development. The three kingdom isles were the governing isles of the black waters. From them stemmed the flate guard, the enforcement of justice and peace. The Isle of Winder was small and caused little dispute with inner isle matters, and so had little trouble with the army of the black waters. Other isles, such as the Isle of Teahat, the Isle of Ponzer, the Isle of Gabpil, and the Isle of Absul, were in constant protest with the kingdom isles and were consistently avoided in trade and travel. Each of their bindings had an outpost of the fleet guard, making it a difficult task to enter or leave. If you ever hope to get off this isle, you will know the seven peaks and four valleys of the Isle of Dake by tomorrow, said Teacher Sayakam. Her dark, curly hair and pale skin were the only gentle aspects of her demeanor. It was not hard to imagine that she had once spent several years as part of the Fleet Guard. And in two days, if you don't know the 27 isles well enough, you will take this portion of the teachings all over again. Don't disappoint me. We're done for the day. Amory rubbed his eyes vigorously like he had awoken from a nap and stood up from the long bench which held four other pupils, waiting for someone on his left or right to leave so he could as well. He rubbed his eyes again when he walked out from beneath the awning that formed the classroom. Older pupils under other awnings spread across the top of Penzurge Hill were still learning and would be still for another hour. Turber bumped harshly into Amory. Have fun with your babysitter, he said, chuckling, and then took off running when he saw the vehemence on Amory's face. Amory chased him until teacher Sayakam yelled at Amory to return. Reluctantly, he turned and trudged back. Come on, Amory, behave yourself until your mother gets here, she insisted after he was back by the awning. He only looked into her eyes in acknowledgement. Teacher Sayakam was getting tired of waiting with him after teachings for his mother. She did not inquire as to why this had to be done, but she knew Lunel had her reasons. A couple of minutes later, the boy's mother arrived and took Amory down into town and left him with Amnes for his afternoon labor, while she went back to work in the gardens. He went straight to work cleaning and organizing the workshop so he could get a couple of hours of watching Amnes toil at his craft. Amory's time at the workshop moved just as slowly as it had during the teaching, but eventually the sun did begin to set. With its recession, the sky's pallid yellowish-white gradually transitioned into dim, light gray. People were finishing up their business. Many were already on their way to the tavern before heading home. The boy saw his mother in the distance walking towards the workshop. She was coming to take him home. Each of her steps was rigid and purposeful. Her expression was void of emotion, but devotion was guiding her. Amory stared at her for a long time as she made her way towards him. He thought about all of the memories they shared and the powerful love she held sheltered deep within. He thought about her treasured smile and her comforting hug and her warm bread, qualities that had vanished and that the boy yearned for immensely. He thought about all of the merits of their life together before he made the most audacious decision of his life, a decision that had waited in hibernation until its hunger had grown intolerable. The stalemate of his loves had come to an end.
With the flash of a decision that could never be rescinded, Amory took off running in the opposite direction. He ran towards Temper Time Cemetery in the army of lifelessness, leaving behind responsibility and trust and any hope of a normal future upon the Isle of Windows.